The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you. Because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast, brought to you by FanDuel.com, the leader in one-week fantasy football. Clay Link alongside lead prospect writer James Anderson. James, this is it as far as regularly scheduled prospect podcasts. We will be doing some uh, from the Arizona Fall League here in early November, but uh, this is it as far as regularly scheduled prospect podcast for the year. Season finally wrapping up, but uh, going to get to the back half of your latest top 200 prospect list. Uh, went over the first half, uh, the first 100 last week, so be sure to go and check that out if you missed that. But starting at, at 101, James, I want to ask you about Curry Mella, mainly because uh, he's on my Reds now. But I really like this haul for the Reds in the Mike Leak deal. I thought you might have him a little bit higher than this just because I know you, you like his talent. But uh, is there a chance, you know, well, he's only at high A, but do you worry that uh, he's a power arm, but maybe he, he ends up in the bullpen long term? 
Uh, if he if he ends up in the bullpen, it won't be because of his pitch mix uh, or his ability to turn over a lineup multiple times. I think he's definitely got the pitches to do that. Uh, the one reason why he was just on the outside looking in on the top 100 was the durability concerns are are notable. I think. I mean, he's he's 22 years old. Only threw uh, 103 innings this year after throwing uh, 86 last year. So I was kind of hoping coming into the year that he could at least get kind of over like 120 innings uh, and really kind of start to, to build up a, a solid workload base heading into to 2016. As it stands right now, I guess I'd, I'd be surprised if he got to 140 innings next year. So with that in mind, I mean, he, he's going to be probably starting the year at maybe double a maybe maybe high a again but probably double a and and if he's only throwing you know 120 innings or 125 innings next year then you you kind of wonder where this whole thing is going in terms of him being a starting pitcher i definitely love love the talent love the arm if if he ends up a reliever it's going to be a a really nasty one so still love that haul for the reds but the workload concerns are are notable. I mean, I think you got to pay attention to that a little bit. Control has been an issue too for him, especially this year. Three point six walks per nine, forty one overall. Really bloated from when he got after the trade. I mean, it was really yeah. good before the trade. Uh, Twenty one innings after the trade, he had like a uh, six walks per nine or something <laughs> like that. So I mean, it just uh, command kind of left him there over his last four starts. But he was really good before that. That's less of a concern to me than the, than the workload thing. Moving down to number 105, Jacob Nottingham. Now, we talked about him a couple weeks ago as far as some of your biggest risers Mm -hmm. from preseason to now. And he was another guy that got moved, moved to Oakland. I think he's definitely interesting, especially given the lack of of talent in the minor leagues at catcher, especially offensively. Is Is he the number two catcher for you on this list? Uh, I think he's behind only Alfaro, isn't he? That sounds about yeah, right. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's just behind Alfaro there. Uh I mean it's it's a tricky position. We we go over this all the time. I really re- have reservations about strongly endorsing any catching prospect. I mean, yeah. I think like coming into last coming into this this year, I had like Blake Swihart down in like the the 40s or something like that, maybe even in the 50s when he was up kind of in the top 15 or so among a lot of other rankings, just because the position is so fickle and you almost know going in that a guy's going to struggle right away. Like he's, you're never going to really see a a catching prospect unless it's Buster Posey hit the ground running. Even a guy like Devin Mesoraco took him a good, good number of plate appearances before he really kind of found himself as a hitter at the big league level. So, uh, it's it's just tricky. I mean, I, I don't like to put a lot of my eggs in a dynasty league in the catching basket just because I think the, the potential for flame out there, especially, I mean, with injuries, it's more likely for there to be an injury uh, than any other position player. And uh, you're also going to – the end result isn't going to be a superstar most likely because they're still going to sit, you know, 40 games a year or something like that. So uh, the fact that I have Nottingham at 105 is definitely – praise for his bat yeah i mean that seven homers this season uh 235 at bats i expect the power to come along a bit as he develops only 20 years old 
but well, seven seven at high A, and yeah. he had ten at low A before getting promoted. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I did not see that actually, but yeah, that's that's pretty impressive power. Uh, and he's still just 20, which is yeah. very, very young for a catcher at high A. You know, yeah. like, catcher moves slower up the chain than, than any other position player uh, position. So, I mean, it, it's it's very impressive that he did that as a 20-year-old. I mean, if he did that as a 22-year-old, I would still be pretty impressed. Yeah. So, um, and catchers, very advanced bat. Catchers in Dynasty and Keeper Leagues, two catchers, especially in the deeper ones like the Staff Keeper League, so hard to come by mm. good ones. So... And I the, could see people reaching up a few rounds in the reserve draft this year to, to grab this. Yeah, game. if you're in a dynasty league that starts two catchers and that's a position of need for you, mm -hmm. then you're definitely looking at a guy like Nottingham and just being like, oh, this could be a guy that I own for like 10 years or something. And uh, the the bar to clear to be a useful catcher in, in those kinds of leagues really isn't all that high, and I think Nottingham uh, should be able to, to get there. 109, Mark Appel. I mean, I don't, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I think this is a very fair ranking here. Uh, but but you may be the low man among other prospects. Uh, I've been the low man on Appel yeah, from day while. one, which is fine. I don't care. Uh, I mean, he's <laughs> he's just a guy. I don't see him as an ace. I don't even really see him as a number two. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there was kind of an interesting cluster there, and it was sort of on purpose of – Pierce Johnson, Mark Appel, Aaron Blair, Archie Bradley, John Gray, kind of all within seven spots of each other. And I, I really see those guys very similarly in terms of their upside and their floor. I mean, I guess you could maybe argue that Aaron Blair's floor is, is maybe higher than the rest of those guys. But uh, I just see those guys as all just kind of mid-rotation arms, you yeah. know, from a fantasy perspective, like number three starters, uh, maybe number four starters, close to the big leagues, uh, potential to be worse than that. Like, mm -hmm. I think I think with Mark Appel, uh, with Archie Bradley, John Gray, these are guys who aren't locks to make it. I mean, they're, it wouldn't surprise me if any of those guys were out of big league rotations in like three years or four yeah. years or something like that. So uh, just just guys that you know are going to pitch in the big leagues in some capacity uh, in 2016. And there's really – there's not a ton to get super excited about with any of them, but they all have the potential to be number three starters. An offensive player that's kind of sandwiched in the middle of that bunch is Clint Coulter. And I know you're – you know, we're in Wisconsin and you're a Brewers fan, but he's another guy that you've kind of been low on relative to others uh, throughout the entire year. I don't know about that. You wouldn't Coulter? say so? No, I mean, well, nobody ranks him. I mean, he's never ranked in, like, actual prospect rankings because his defense is yeah, not that's true. Uh, plus. I mean, I, and I, I think really a lot of sites uh, – I think, you know, Baseball America might be the only one that actually kind of buys into him as a – as an everyday hitter, uh, I know baseball prospectus and fan graphs are, are kind of look at him more as a fourth outfield type. Uh, I happen to believe the power is is pretty real. Uh, the Florida State League, I mean, his numbers, you have to uh, look at them in context. I mean, the Florida State League is very, very tough place to put up uh, big numbers. I think he was kind of top three or top five in all the major power categories there. So, uh, the numbers don't pop out to you really, but I, I do think that he, that that should be considered a, a very good season for him offensively. Uh, he should 
get to spend most of the year at double a in 2016 possibly gets moved up to to triple a uh towards the end of the year and then in in 2017 i think he'll be uh in contention for for some kind of a a role with with the brewers on a somewhat everyday basis yeah i mean those numbers at at high don't look spectacular but 731 ops and 499 try to pull that up the 13 homers florida state league like trying to think who there's a, a guy ahead of him in terms of like ops but i mean really that like 731 ops like that Solid. that's that's like top yeah. <laughs> top three maybe even in that <laughs> league i mean it's wow. not an easy place to put up uh good numbers um see yeah. i thought I, I guess i was mistaken in thinking that you were kind of low on him but I, I guess uh more upside probably in fantasy than in real life yeah, if he has a starting well, job and especially league. yeah, I mean yeah, dating back to, um, you know, dating back to to like last year, everybody knew that he really probably wasn't going to stick behind the plate, so everyone mm-hmm. was kind of off of him. But the fact that he's uh, transitioned to uh, a solid outfielder, um, to me suggests. I mean, he's got a. I think he can handle right field. They have. Uh, Domingo Santana, obviously, who also kind of profiles there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, that's definitely a, a bat that could play there. Um, I'm trying to think here. Uh, hold on a sec. Okay, so, yeah. Um, yeah, Coulter's 13 home runs were tied for second in the Florida State League last wow. year. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, he's – Phil Irvin was there with 12 uh, – Coulter at a better OPS than Irvin. Uh-huh. Um, definitely think that he has a future in the big leagues. It, it could be as a regular, which would be very nice, but it also could be as a, a bat off the bench. Yeah, I mean, I I own him in our staff keeper league. One, 18 teams with, with uh, 10 minor league spots, so I'm going to probably be holding on to him, even though I don't think it's necessarily a must. No, must no. Be. I think in that format – I mean, everybody kind of has their their cutoff point with prospects. After you know, if a guy's outside of your personal like top one hundred or so, and you just you, it also really depends what the pool is yep. of guys that aren't owned. Because you know, if you kind of do the math, um, for for instance, like coming into this year, I was on the fence about holding Nick Williams, and well. <laughs> very glad that I did. But <laughs> yeah. like, I think I had him in the, the high seventies or something like that coming into the year, uh, just because there were, this was before he made any of the changes in his approach at all. Yeah. And, and it was Which kind of significant, right? And it was questionable whether or not he would ever make enough contact to be an everyday player in the big leagues. Uh, talent was unquestioned obviously, but you know, at that point, if you're, if he's kind of a fringe top 100 guy for you, I almost, I almost say like throw him back, especially if you're going to be keeping like six or seven minor leaguers already, and you just have that would just leave you like three or four bench spots because you want to be able to have the flexibility to grab if there's a minor leaguer falling in the draft, you want to be able to have a place to put him. Now you mentioned John Gray as part of that cluster of pitchers that you intentionally kind of put in the same vicinity on this list. The guy right behind John Gray on the list that you didn't mention though, Jeff Hoffman. What what keeps him outside of that range? I mean, we've talked about him before, and you've said that you just don't like Rockies pitchers to begin with, and he's been one of the bigger followers from the start of the year. But yeah, well, well, what keeps him outside of that that cluster of guys? I mean, he's not. I wouldn't say he's 
I didn't mention him when I yeah. when I mentioned that cluster because he's Still not obviously as, he's close. not as close to the big leagues as those guys though. I mean, the, I think uh, Pierce Johnson, Aaron Blair, those guys are going to beat him to the big leagues. Uh, Hoffman is just it's like I couldn't put him. I think I like the stuff more than I like Gray's stuff, but yeah. because he's probably a year behind gray developmentally like i i they're they're next to each other for a reason and they're outside of the top 100 for a reason and that's just me kind of taking a stand against rocky's pitching and, and this is kind of one where a lot of times i'll rank guys ahead of uh certain other players when in in real life i might not take them ahead of that person just because like it's more helpful to the to the reader to see where these guys are being kind of valued in dynasty leagues overall and not just what I think of them, but I couldn't honestly tell you that I would take either of those Rockies pitchers over anybody in the top 100, just because it's like, I, I that is not a proposition that appeals to me mm-hmm. in terms of being like, oh, I'm going to, going to have John Gray or Jeff Hoffman as part of my long-term plan in this league, because I don't want to own a Rockies pitcher ever, uh, even when they're <laughs> up at the big league level. So, um, I mean, it would be kind of dishonest for me to put them higher based on their stuff. I mean, you're you're going to see those guys higher based on their stuff on like like on Keith Law's list. Mm-hmm. You might see Jeff Hoffman like right around the top twenty-five because yeah. he's not rating it based on what we Fans. expect him to do in the big leagues. He's rating it based on present stuff. Like if yeah. Jeff Hoffman was on, like if Jeff Hoffman was like a Braves prospect, he might be in my top fifty. Um, yeah. I mean, that that stuff matters in Dynasty Leagues. I mean, it really does. So uh, that's why they're both outside the top 100. Plus, you know the Rockies aren't going to trade this guy, no. given how much they need pitching help. and uh, So that really damages his, his outlook long term. Moving down the list, and be sure to check out the full list for yourself, rotowire.com. Uh, click on the MLB tab, prospects right right under that main, he- main header there. Uh, moving down, though, to, uh, well, 128, Vlad, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Obviously, we've talked about him some so far away from the majors, but a guy that I will consider spending my my first round reserve draft pick on, even though you know I'm going to be waiting a while, and I expect to have to to end up trading him. But I think you know if I if I wait until next year and I have uh, my windows open, I could send him off for for a pretty significant haul. But I want to jump down to the guy right behind him, Nick Gordon, another guy we've talked about, uh, 19 years old, of course, brother of D. Gordon. Uh, and you don't expect him to to be as good as his brother uh, at his peak, do you? No, because he doesn't have the same speed, uh-huh. uh, which is to say he doesn't have eighty grade speed, which is not a knock. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think anybody could have realistically predicted D Gordon to hit for the average he's hitting for uh, mm-hmm. right now. Even even people that were as high on him coming out as like anybody. I think to think that he'd be competing with Bryce Harper for a batting title would have just been laughable uh, four or five years ago. So the fact that Nick Gordon, I mean, Nick Gordon's numbers aren't crazy good, but I think you, you kind of got to look at him as a 19 year old in a full season league with a seven ten OPS. I mean, that's, that's pretty good for, for a guy that's going to stick at shortstop. So, and, and D Gordon was such a slow developer. I think you kind of got to look at the two, and, and think they might have a similar developmental path. Uh, so Gordon is is not even really all that close to scratching the surface of what I think he's capable of, but he is 
he is a good three years away uh, mm-hmm. minimum. I, I don't think this is a guy that's going to have one of those years where he climbs multiple levels. I think it's going to be uh, maybe high A for him next year, then double A, then triple A. Then we've, we've seen with the Twins, I mean, who knows what you got to do really to, to get a call up in that organization uh, with Jose Barrios. So, I, I mean, three years away for sure with him. That, that's why he's outside of the top 100. So not 80-grade speed, but maybe, would you say it's 65? Maybe 70. Maybe 70. I mean, it's going to play. I mean, right. he had, yeah. yeah, he's going to – his his speed's going to be an asset mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, I think he's he's got more – obviously, you can't say he's got a better uh, potential with the hit tool than D. Gordon, given what we've seen from Gordon. But as a prospect, I think – the industry would the strong consensus would have had his hit tool at this age way ahead of his brother's hit tool at this age because he's not as as wiry as his brother was Mm -hmm. like uh and he's also got a a little bit more power potential than his brother i think that's interesting i think it's also wise to point out how how slow of a developer his brother was because we're saying three years right now but who knows i mean he could reach some majors in three years but it could be an additional two years before mm-hmm. he's actually yeah, exactly. playing that's at the very, level. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good point with some of these guys where you're you're really expecting it to take a little bit before they, they really start producing at the big league level. At 138, Cody Medeiros of the Brewers. I think he's interesting. He's seeing uh, you know, more more young arms, high A rookie ball types in this second second half of this list. I think Madero Medeiros fits in there. Got to see him uh with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers earlier this year, it looked great. He was he threw six uh, shutout innings, looked very good. But are you, are you still concerned about the 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 frame, the size, and his ability to hold up uh, for a full starter's workload in the majors? Um, I I'm not concerned about him being a starter. Uh, it well, not for physical reasons at least. Okay. I think the. The one thing to watch with him is his control, and mm-hmm. I think that that'll probably dictate, you know, how well does he command his fastball, so that 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 plus slider can can play. I mean, that the slider could be a, a wipeout pitch, really. I mean, he's he's a guy that kind of uh, I've heard people people say he sort of reminds them of of Chris Sale or, or even Madison Bumgarner in terms of his uh, the way he looks on the mound. Uh, yeah, I mean he, he's six listed at six two one eighty. I I like that size for a lefty, uh, lefty starter. So yeah, I mean I, I definitely don't think that's an issue, but uh, definitely going to want to watch that that walk ratio as he moves up. I mean three point eight six uh, walks per nine. That's manageable for a nineteen year old in a full season league. I mean you don't expect him to just hit the hit the ground with like a, a two five or something like that. But uh, definitely going to watch that heading into next year. This is a baseball prospect podcast obviously but we play fantasy football you think you're good at fantasy football prove it at fanduel.com how do you do in week three james success for the most part um i didn't have much success in daily no i well okay so i i had uh i had james jones Devonte freeman and julio jones oh, all in my all in my roto wire uh lineup and then I surrounded them with just pure trash. Well, actually, and I had the Seahawks D too. So I had those four all really producing for me. Jeez. And that's that's kind of the most painful is yeah. when you're right about some guys. Like I'm like, oh, got to get James Jones in there. Got to get Devontae Freeman in there. Like I have, I start Julio every week. I mean, that's no secret. Yeah. But uh, when you hit like that on some guys and then you just screwed up 
elsewhere, so you couldn't take advantage of it. That's that's always a big bummer. Man, you hit the nail on the head with the Julio number one overall. I got to give you a ton of credit there. Uh, thought it was a little ballsy. I w- didn't have the guts to do it. I didn't end up with several shares, but he really is looking like the locked in as the the clear number one guy in fantasy this year. And yeah, I, I just shot myself in the foot. I had Devont, Devontae Freeman uh, and Julio in, in some leagues, but then at the last minute in one of my leagues, I put in Chris Polk. Instead oh, no. of somebody, <laughs> just because oh, no. I had a gut feeling <laughs> that for some reason he, he would play do that right. hunch. FanDuel <laughs> is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. The money is real. They're paying out over $75 million a week this football season. Building a team is easy. Just pick your players, stay under the salary cap, sit back on Sunday and watch your team win. Entry fees start at just $1. Anyone could play. You know fantasy football. Prove it at FanDuel. Dot com. Any guys you're targeting this week? I, I kind of like Tyrod Taylor. I'm really kind of um, going all in on Tyrod. Ty God. If you can filibuster for two seconds, actually, I think I put together a pretty, a pretty decent lineup. I I forget what his exact price is, but James Jones to me is still way great. underpriced. Yeah. Like I think he's at like six thousand or sixty one hundred. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch, if you're watching um, Packers games. Like, he's the guy. He's like he's obviously Cobb guys. is like you know I mean he's yeah. so elite and and definitely someone who I think you got to look at at maybe paying up for um, especially with Devonte out but uh, Jones is is a legitimate red zone threat for them. They're going to look at him a lot. Uh, I think Ty Montgomery kind of a sneaky play. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that I that I added in some full season leagues. The price is really cheap. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a boomer bust play, maybe better for tournaments, but, you know, Rodgers is all about the matchups. And, you know, if if they decide that the 49ers third cornerback is where the matchup is, then yeah. Montgomery could have a big day. Yeah, I could see that. But I do think Jones is a safe bet to see yeah. a, a slight uptick, at least in targets this week, even though he has been heavily involved for the first three weeks. I mentioned I like Tyrod Taylor. His teammate, Carlos Williams, I think also makes for a great play. He's dirt cheap, and it sounds like LaShawn he'll, McCoy. He'll be really heavily yeah, he'll owned. he'll be heavily owned, but I think he's pretty yeah, safe. Yeah, sure. Uh, let us know who you're targeting. James is on Twitter, at RealJarrahAnderson. I'm at ClayWLink. Uh, and if you haven't signed up yet, go to FanDuel.com. Click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use my code RWP and sign up now. Special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it up to 200 bucks to get earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. Offer is only good for the first 50 people that use my code RWP today. Don't forget to use my code RWP, FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. Moving on to the list of prospects, back half of James's updated top 200, which went live on the site last week. I want to ask you about a guy who, you know, he's, he missed most of the year with a shoulder injury. Uh, I liked him coming in. Marco Gonzalez of the Cardinals. You still have him on this list, but he's down at 148. I still think there's some, you know, not a quite a bit, but there's still a fair amount to like with this guy. But do you think, you know, given that he missed so much of this season that he's, uh, you know, may end up, you know, serving primarily in a bullpen role next season and perhaps for most of his career? Um. I don't think he's. I don't think he belongs in a bullpen. I think he's a legitimate starting pitcher. Like a, the reason why he was higher coming into the year, I think he was probably in the top sixty-five or so before the season, is that I thought there was a legitimate chance that he'd 
find a rotation spot for a good chunk of the year. And mm-hmm. so there was going to be a lot of now value there with, with Gonzalez. Uh, now the way things sort of set up in that, that Cardinals rotation going into next year, I don't think he's got a spot yeah. coming out of camp. He's going to need an injury, maybe two. Uh, I actually like – I have Tim Cooney ranked ahead of him. I have yeah, Cooney so. at 131. Uh, I have Luke Weaver ranked at 118. Jack Flaherty, uh, one, I think 109 or 103 or something like that. Uh, so, I mean, Gonzalez compared to those guys uh, – Cooney I have ahead of him just because I think they're very, very similar in terms of upside, and Cooney has – now some track record. I think the organization yeah. probably would be more comfortable giving him a spot in that rotation than Gonzalez. Uh, with with guys like Flaherty and, and Weaver, I think there's more a bit more upside there. Uh, so yeah, I just I I don't see when we're gonna see Gonzalez back in that Cardinals rotation. Ideally, he would get traded, um, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't know if you can really bank on that. And with a guy who's who's upside, like his his absolute upside, I think is is a number three starter hard to kind of get too bullish on him when he's kind of ready and isn't one of the five best starters in his organization. Yeah, and the numbers when on the field this season, not not particularly good. Things could maybe change if Carlos Martinez's shoulder injury lingers mm-hmm. into next season. But, yeah, I'm with you. I don't see him having a, a prominent or a spot in this starting rotation to start the year. His former teammate, who's a couple spots down, uh, well, organization mate at least, Rob Kaminsky, Traded to Cleveland at the deadline for uh, Brandon Moss. He, he was a pretty significant faller, if I'm not mistaken, from start of the year and even your last update. What is it that's kind of pushed him down on this list uh, to this point? Uh, you know, he, he just – when I was kind of going through, I, I definitely don't see anything more than a uh, number three starter with him. And – one of the reasons, just kind of, you know, following the Cardinals beat writers, one of the reasons why they were okay moving Kaminsky is that they view him um, kind of like a, a further away version of Tim Cooney. Uh, huh. At least that that's what I, I saw Derek Gould reporting. Um, and if that's the case, then, that, I mean, that's why he's where he is. You know, I, I think that you always got to be careful – to not over the the pit, the pitchers you really don't want to overrate on on these kinds of rankings are guys whose ceiling is a number three starter and they're far away because yeah. that's not a good combination because anything yeah. can happen I mean they can get hurt and at, if you stick with them for a couple of years and they get to the big leagues you're still just left with a number three starter like I'd much rather have a guy in short season ball who has a chance to be a number two or a guy in yeah. rookie ball who has a chance to be an ace than a guy at high A who his best case scenario is he's a number three. Yeah, if you're playing that waiting game, oh, and all you can dream on is, is upside, there, there's very little appeal with a guy uh, that's that's a number three at, at, at best. And Kaminsky, I'm with you. I, I just don't see – you know, he's, at tw- he's 21 now. I think he's a ways off still. And the fact that the Cardinals were willing to trade him I do think is uh, a bit of a red now, flag. Now I will say, like – couldn't have picked a better organization for him to go to yeah, just given the, the Indians track record of the developing arms. I mean, they've developed guys with less pedigree than him into to really good major league starters. So um, definitely not giving up on him, but just if I'm going to wait a couple of years on a pitcher at high A, it's, it's probably not going to be him. You know, um, we're, while we're talking Cardinals prospects and 
former Cardinals prospects. I just want to shout out Oscar Mar- or Oscar Tavares just with the team clinching the other other night and uh, just a, clinching the NL Central. Just a reminder that it's, it's been a year since we lost Oscar Tavares, and just as prospect heads and uh, just human beings, it's it's tough that he's gone. He was because he's a, he was a great prospect. He was really 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 special. Like uh-huh. I mean, I that's I'm never gonna forget about him as a as a prospect especially as a hitter i mean just just oozed everything that i look for in a, yeah. in a future middle of the order hitter and and just really just one of the really sadder things that's happened in in sports in, in quite some time with him kind of just being denied that opportunity to ever really have like his big league moment you yeah. know i he mean had he, that one he had homer the, he had the homer year. on his his debut day mm-hmm. um which was just majestic uh but you know, I, I still, I still, I know, and I'm well documented of, of hating Matheny um, for, for for a variety of reasons. But I, I, I'm still never gonna uh, forgive him for the way he managed yeah. Tavares last year that, before yeah. that injury. I, I really think that it was a it was a shame that he wasn't playing every day. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's definitely a, a sore spot. Yeah, absolutely. Our thoughts go out. Uh, to his family on nearing the anniversary of his passing. But moving down the list to 158, this is a guy who we talked about, and I think last time we talked, we, you just didn't have a firm spot for him, but you knew he was going to be a, a significant follower. Dylan Bundy, the Orioles. I mean, w- what made you settle on this spot? We talked about how at this point, you know, he's 22 years old, still, but the, the history of injuries with him and uh, the Orioles' handling of him has kind of put him – you know, on the fringes of, of dynasty and keeper league uh, ownership, in, in your opinion? Yeah, uh, he's just a really, really tough player to gauge, and the fact that he has to be on the active roster out of camp next year really yep. kind of makes things even hazier. You, you know, I I saw a good article. Uh, I think it was on baseball prospectus recently where they were just kind of breaking down how terrible the Orioles have been at developing pitching prospects like I mean you go through it like Brian Mattis uh, Chris Tillman Kevin Gaussman uh, Hunter Harvey Dylan Bundy Jake Arrieta they would not let Jake Arrieta use his cutter like while they were developing which is the exact same thing that they did with Dylan Bundy and Jake guess what Jake Arrieta's cutter is maybe his nastiest pitch and the maybe reason, one of the nastier pitches yeah it's it like might be one of the reasons why he's I mean the fact that he's in the conversation for the Cy Young with Granky and Kershaw just mm-hmm. two gods I mean it's it's, it's insane like I, and that that just goes to the Orioles like it's it wasn't ever going to happen there, and it wasn't. It had nothing to do with Arietta. It had yeah. everything to do with that organization, and with a guy like Bundy, I just have no faith that he's in the right place to ever kind of regain what he had. Uh-huh. Uh, with with that being in Baltimore, I mean, I think there's got to be a pretty good chance at this point that he just gets converted into a reliever, just so that they can they can use him next year at the big league level. And and even then, I mean, I think he's kind of another injury waiting to happen. So. Uh, he's in the he's in the top 200, but uh, his 
teammate Hunter Harvey I didn't even rank mm -hmm. because I, I think he's headed for Tommy John. That, I don't know if that's official yet, but that definitely seemed to be uh, something you could kind of read between the lines and infer. And with a guy like Hunter Harvey, he's going to miss about three years worth of pitching uh, after the, after Ooh. he recovers from that Tommy John surgery, and that's just really hard to kind of give a guy the benefit of the doubt at that point. Yeah, it's a damn shame with Bundy and – uh, their, their track record is terrible. It is good to see Kevin Gaussman having some success lately. Yeah, yeah. like he, Kevin Kevin Gaussman, it's like, uh, I don't know what the, the analogy is, but it's like the heart, the most difficult situation for a pitching prospect to make it out of and like find some semblance of value, and he's managed to do it. I mean, just kind of speaks to him as a pitcher and, and as a worker. Yeah, first career double-digit strikeout game last night. Going up against a... Blue Jays lineup those sitting all of the regulars, but <laughs> impressive nonetheless. One more guy I want to touch on real quick, just because I uh, I am an owner of his in one league and really high on the tools, but a long ways away. Manuri Sierra, uh, another guy I got to see in that matchup with Cody Medeiros really this year. Now numbers this year not good. He actually ended up getting sent back down to rookie ball, but Cardinals uh, I think their top hitter in the minor leagues uh, in 2014. A guy I'm still pretty optimistic on, but is it mainly the the lack of proximity that keeps them down here or just yeah you know? no it's it's uh there's a reason why i have sierra and, and monty harrison right next to each other i think they're very similar players both uh given the full season test uh they failed it went back to rookie ball and kind of reminded everyone why they were highly thought of coming into the year because i mean they both have have tons of tools but just you know they're they're far away far enough away and we've already seen them fail at uh, low A. Full that, season. That it's, yeah. it's hard to – I mean, there's guys that are their age and have their tools who didn't fail at their first crack mm -hmm. at low A. So, I mean, I think they have to be this far down on the list. Uh, but both of those guys, Sierra and Harrison, like would not surprise me at all if we're sitting here in like the middle of June – and they're both ripping the cover off the ball at low yeah. A, and they're in the conversation as, like, top 100, top 75 guys. Yeah. You're right, though, to say that there are guys right around this age who are uh, succeeding not only at uh, low A but high A. Like a guy like Franklin Barreto we talked about last yeah. week. He's 20, and he had, what, 13 homers as a shortstop at high A. I think he's impressive. But that'll do it for the prospect portion of the show. Thank you guys for listening. We're going to grade out our latest rap group, The Dog Pound. Now, my brother swears by dog food, by the way. That's a great album. I don't know if I completely agree, but we're going to be grading uh, the dog pound consisting of Daz and Corrupt on the five tools we've established for grading hip-hop groups. Uh, lyricism, flow, longevity, impact, swag, grading on the 20 to 80 scouting scale, and then an overall grade. Uh, did you listen to dog food ever back in the day? Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, I'll admit Good that album. This... Let's play house. Yeah, yeah. This is uh this is definitely one where we didn't have as much kind of prep time to kind of refamiliarize yeah. ourselves with the group. Uh so you know, I, I would say over the past 4 or 5 years, the majority of of what I've heard um from Corrupt and Daz has been them either on like featured on tracks or corrupt solo stuff I'll, I'll give a spin every now and then um but i mean i, I definitely have a, a good feel for for those two when they're on a track together yeah i mean they had some some bangers for sure i thought dog food was pretty good i'm not 
willing to put it in the true classic range like my brother, but it it, it could be considered yeah. by that. I mean, it's not classic death row. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not like like doggy style and the chronic and like all eyes on me. I mean, those are like classic hip hop albums. Dog uh-huh. food, not quite on that that level, but certainly for that genre and uh, for that record label, uh, one of the classics, one of the ones that you'd see hanging on the walls. Yeah, dog food was one of the ones that was really their only collaborative album that was a big hit. They had mm-hmm. Dillinger and Young Gotti in 2001, but by then uh, the market was pretty flooded they and they have, were kind of forgotten like, about. Oh, is that, was that the Dog Food 2001? Or, or like? It was Dillinger and Young Gotti okay. was the name of the album. But their individual stuff was, was pretty solid, especially for Corrupt. Yeah. So Daz, I think Daz probably has some more prolific beats than, than uh, verses yeah, throughout his career, but corrupt man i mean that guy when smoke he boogies or space boogies <laughs> smoke odyssey yeah um Ooh, classic. corrupt at the top of his game with like a very corrupt beat is very i mean that's that's 80 when yeah. when there's he, some there's some 80 corrupt songs there are. uh you know i think the the space Streets boogie, as a mother yeah, had some classics on, 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 on site i mean oh on on site if you haven't heard that in our hip-hop fan which, uh, if you're listening to this, I assume you are. Go listen to On On Site. Yeah, another another uh, track that I would definitely recommend if you uh, want to get a good taste of of what Corrupt and Daz are all about. The song "Bang" off of one of the Games albums, where it's basically just Corrupt and Daz just stealing the track, and it's just a perfect uh, dog pound beat, and uh, you know, just very very good stuff up and down. Yeah. Um, I think my one of my favorite uh I don't know if corrupt like coined this but referring to a nine as a Nina I think that's <laughs> that's one of my favorite uh, kind of hip hop uh code words. Yeah. I, I mean corrupt <laughs> did have some 80 tracks but then you couple him with like Nate Dog and maybe get yeah, Daz on sure. a feature maybe Snoop. Ain't no fun if my homies can't get none. <laughs> can't get none. <laughs> it ain't no fun. Let's play House is a good track too. I'd re- recommend that one. Well, as far as lyricism for just Daz and Corrupt as a group, I got a forty here. I mean, nothing special, but I actually think both may be kind of underrated lyrically. I mean, I'm, I'm not willing to give them a plus grade. I actually don't think they are plus, but I think some people would say like twenty to thirty it's, range. It's really tough because you know lyrically, like neither of them are like reinventing like the wheel no. or anything with their lyrics. But some of their lyrics are just great. Like they're they're the kind of lyrics that like make you laugh. You know, yeah. like um, and that are like kind of right. kind of witty. Not all lyrics have to be like illmatic lyrics or yeah. anything like that. I mean, there's a lot of. Um, you know, there's a little kind of like one of the reasons I love, you know, Dipset is, and we're going to, we're maybe going to grade them out on one of the AFL pods. We, we will do that. Uh, but I mean, they they just, there's so many camera lines that make me laugh. I mean, corrupt, uh, very much in the, the same boat there. And, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't give them higher, give them higher than a 45 for lyrics, but there were definitely tracks where they were pushing 60. And I think like the rhyme schemes were good you know yeah. they they I like what you said i think that's perfect that they weren't reinventing the wheel or anything they were really pushing the envelope but i thought the rhyme schemes coupled with the beats mm-hmm. uh were, were, were strong that, that's part of the reason why i got a 60 flow grade uh and that kind of couples with the, the kind of swag on the mic oh, uh, for both of these guys a lot of swag on the mic i think they really uh the flow 
you know, looking back on nineties hip hop groups, they get lost in the mix, but flow is plus plus as far as I'm concerned. I I go fifty five on the flow. Uh I think corrupts flow. I, I mean I think honestly for me corrupt is gonna be pulling up a lot of these grades. Uh Daz uh kind of I feel like if Daz never did anything with corrupt, he would just kind of be thought of as like some producer that did a few tracks for Tupac and and that's uh-huh. kind of it. Uh so definitely love corrupts flow uh, a ton. When when he was going right, you know, on those tracks we mentioned, you know, like on on site, I mean, that's a 80 flow easy. Um so yeah, I mean, I think I think there's enough there to give him an overall 55. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair grade. And I uh, I like this group uh, quite a bit. Let us know if you agree with that, because I think flow is one of the tougher grades we mm-hmm. give out on a week-to-week basis. Longevity, I got a 35. You got a 50. And for me, the longevity in, in this portion is mainly due to the fact that I think the mainstream fans, you know, casual fans, largely forgotten about them. And they had just that one uh, collaborative album at their peak. But as far as solo, they both ended up carving out pretty pretty lengthy careers. Yeah, I... I probably went a little too high with the 50 and it's, I'm kind of giving them some credit where maybe I didn't give that much credit to some other groups where if we're just going to say the dog pound as a group putting out, you know, albums together, then longevity has to probably be down in the thirties. But I think the fact that, you know, we're, more than 20 years later and i still like i think corrupt was yeah. on a like a schoolboy q song oh, really? that recently that was like really just classic corrupt verse i mean the fact that he's kind of still doing that i mean that that's that's a long time in the game i mean a lot i mean you look at any it's any true. duo of rappers from like 92 93 uh they're probably not rapping on like the top hip hop yeah. artists of the air of the, the exactly. day. I mean, they're not, they're not doing that. They're not getting asked to do that. So uh, I think the fact that they, you can still find their work out there uh, in prominent uh, new releases is, is pretty impressive. I think that's a good way to put it. I'm probably too low on this grade, quite honestly. And I'd uh, probably maybe bump it up to 40, which isn't a huge increase, but I do, th- I agree, you know, maybe their window was a big and they don't get a lot of mainstream attention, but uh, within the industry, clearly, people bringing them out, spotlighting them, clearly have a lot of respect. And that's why I got a, a 40 impact grade. I think far more so among you know younger people at the time and people who are kind of now blossoming into prominent artists. And I'll just say, too, I mean, we were talking about good tracks. Just listen to Space Boogie Spoke Odyssey. Skip Sunshine, track <laughs> eight. But aside from that... Really good. Gangsta's track ten. That's featuring Daz. One of my favorite tracks from from those two. That would actually that would be my um recommended listening, you know, if you just wanna it's it's not a dog pound album, but uh I mean really if you can't listen to that album all the way through and just find yourself hitting repeat on a couple songs on there yeah. numerous times, uh then I think you got an issue. Yeah. Definitely again, skip sunshine. <laughs> uh but the rest of that very good listing. Swag grade, we both agreed Se- yeah, seven. Seventy. Yeah. Um, Scott, through the roof. Well, we skip. Do we skip impact? Forty. Oh, I'm sorry. I said forty. A couple forties on impact. Yeah. Uh, nothing really to shed light on there. Uh, swag. Yeah, seventy. Um, I couldn't really decide. Like, 
You know, I haven't seen that many uh, dog pound or corrupt music videos. Um, probably my There's own. Some. Probably my own fault there, but just his their their swag like on the mic yeah, exactly. and just kind of just supreme cockiness and just not giving any f's i mean no. just just really none to give <laughs> really really impressive stuff so 70 there <laughs> yeah. and, and you know i, I think I, I like corrupt more personally but i think daz had quite a bit of swag too. sure yeah um there was a song of, there was a solo daz song called like Something about like California. I forget what it was exactly called, but uh, he brought the swag on the mic and uh, also a lot of swag in the videos. I got a seventy here. Overall, forty-five for me. Uh, five points higher than the the locks, which uh, I feel like it should. The gap should be should be high, greater between those two. You have the exact same grade uh, for the locks and, and dog pound, but thinking back, you know, I guess the locks uh, they deserve more credit. So I guess that gap uh, is not. It's not too much of an issue for me. No, I, I go 45 there for, for the dog pound. Uh, yeah, like we said, definitely check out Space Boogie Smoke Odyssey. The streets um, is a mother. It's good, too. We actually na- we actually nicknamed one of the one of our coworkers <laughs> Space Odyssey. Um, oh, you can kind of funny. sort of figure that out. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that'll do it, guys. We'll be back with you from the Arizona Fall League. Uh, in early November. Thanks to God, uh, a lot for listening throughout the year. We've had a lot of fun doing this. Uh, rate and review the podcast if you get a chance. Let us know what you thought. And, uh, you know, heading into the off season, good luck, you know, plotting out your keepers. And let us know if you have any questions you'd like us to tackle when we, when we start back up. Thanks, guys. Take care. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.